It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 91 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Bracha coming at you. We're going to talk about last week's UFC 259 in which Kumaru Usman burned through Gilbert Burns in a couple of rounds. And then we're going to get into this weekend's UFC Fight Night, which is headlined by Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis as they vie in a rescheduled bout from a couple of months ago. Nikolai, another win for you, buddy. Congratulations. You eked me out by one. Off to a hot start in 2021. Putting it on you, dude. You did not. I mean, you should have expected me to come out of the gate hot after uh, my second half. Well, really, my last quarter uh, last year. But uh, feeling pretty good right now. You did not believe in our girl Alexa Grasso, and it cost you, buddy. Yeah, I ended up changing my pick. I, I think it was just the, just the athleticism of Barbara that ended up edging me her way. Basically, what she did in the third round, I expected that she could doing two of the three rounds. I expected that she could kind of take over with some aggression in that second round and maybe really put it on in the third. She did put it on in the third, and even though she was the less technical fighter, she was able to just outpace her. And I was hoping that she could do that in that second round as well. She couldn't. Uh, Alexa Grasso clinched the victory, and that clinched you the win for the event, uh, which puts me, I think, only three or two or three points ahead of you in the overall tally. But you do have two event wins to my one as of this point. Yeah, we've got to figure out how that works, but I'm looking forward to uh, uh, did my homework this week, and I'm looking forward to to continuing this in t- this is intense pressure that I'm certain uh, you're going to wilt under as I as I am currently the king of W's and L's. I don't know about all that. I've still got more correct picks than you, Nikolai. By good margin. What is this? You invented a new you invented a new scoring system to favor yourself. I get it. That's cool. Here's my new scoring system. You ready? I drafted more winning fighters than you have in three events. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at it that way, that's true. <laughs> a little bit to discuss from last week. Obviously, Kumar Usman had to survive a little bit of an early storm from Gilbert Burns. And man, it looked rough uh, uh, there for a minute. You and I spoke uh, leading up to that event. I think it was after we recorded last week's episode of the podcast. And I mentioned how I think Gilbert Burns has a decent shot of getting an early knockout and i didn't mean that it was likely to happen but the fact that that opportunity was there and that was probably his biggest way to win i didn't trust in his ability to win by submission one because uh, i thought that usman would be fine from top position and able to avoid submissions from there and two because usman is so risk averse that i didn't necessarily believe that he would spend a whole lot of time on the ground with gilbert burns and it did work out that way man Uh, gilbert burns came out landed that right hand it buzzed usman and you and i had concerns about the fact that colby covington was able to buzz usman and covington has no power gilbert burns has some pop in his hands oh that that listen usman can usman can take a shot like the covington i think it was a it was a volume over time that that big that big hook landed right behind the ear it landed rock solid and Usman, it knocked him a little bit off balance, but he regrouped, got his composure. His defense was great, and he wasn't ever, he wasn't ever in real trouble. I mean, he got he got hurt. He, got, but he, you know, he hearing him. I think he's an honest guy, and if he was truly rocked, I think he would have admitted it. And he was like, "I felt it. It was hard. I thought to myself, I better get my shit together." And 
I, I just I don't think he was hurt as quite as badly as he looked. I think it, he was off balance a bit. Um, but regardless, he took the shot. Burns. Uh, I don't know if he if he gassed a little bit, but he said he got wild. He got he said he got Cody Garbrandt wild. And um, the real thing is that, and you know, Burns has been in with, with plenty of strikers. Yes, he got um, knocked out by Dan Hooker, but the put the shot that put him down was a jab. And this this new this new piston like Usman jab is pretty serious. But besides all that, I think would I I don't understand how the Covington performance wasn't a star making performance. But in the interviews post fight and everything, I felt like this was really like Usman's superstar coming out party. I was a fan. Now I'm like a super fan. I just think he's yeah. such a cool. I think he's such a cool guy. He's so smart. He's got great perspective on everything. He's just he's just a hyper intelligent guy who's a great fighter who demands you know who who deserves um you know to be, who deserves to be considered among the top three uh, best fighters in the in the game right now. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you got to consider not only does he have a couple of defenses of his title at this point, but he does have that blitz of high level opposition that he ran through leading up to his title shot, right? Including uh, yeah. early in his UFC career against um leon edwards that's significant man like his resume speaks for itself and again it's not only just after he won that title he did really well in that division before at this point between all of his athletic competition him having one loss and that was extremely early in his career the i think 13 and 0 streak in the ufc is like unbelievable right it's in the welterweight division not in the anderson silva middleweight division from 10 years ago this is a very different right. uh, level of performance in my opinion and he's actually doing kind of a reverse gsp on the way up there was a fair argument i mean he was so strong and so big and able to get top position but he didn't always do a whole heck of a lot once uh once he got there he controlled the fight um but Usman fights were not exciting on his way up. Well, no. since he dominated Tyron Woodley every second of their fight, he was in a uh, four-and-a-half round. Did the Colby fight end in the fourth or the fifth? The fifth, Colby right? the fifth, yeah. Yeah, so he was in a, he was in a four-and-a-half round striking war where he, where he, he finished a guy, a, finished a, ver- a guy who's very tough to finish. And then he just, he just knocked out an incredibly dangerous guy with a jab. He's uh, he's Kamaru Usman is must see TV, and anyone anybody who's not a fan doesn't get this shit. So I hope you're right, and and that is a trend that that to your point makes sense. But then his last fight against Masvidal was about as boring as you can make a Masvidal fight. I've never seen a more boring Masvidal fight, and I think it's because he was facing somebody who's known for fighting boring. I think what would super make... late notice. I mean, I can't, that fight's a weird fight. I thought it was like a, I thought it was like a weird sparring exhibition fight, kind of like Silva versus Daniel Cormier. It was just, it was weird last minute, save a card matchmaking. I hear that, but it's still the way that he performs against like exciting strikers or anything of that sort. So it seems to me, right? Like what I'm interpreting from the fact that he has knockouts in two of his last three fights, right? After only one knockout in his entire, uh, I think, uh, 10 fight UFC career prior to that. I, I think the difference is simple. Gilbert Burns is known as an excellent grappler and maybe he submitted Kumar Usman a couple of times back in the day in their training sessions and Usman didn't want to be on the ground with him. Colby Covington is an excellent wrestler in his own right. And I don't think that, 
Usman thought that he would have quite the advantage in, the, in that department against Covington as he would other opponents. And I think Usman realized he has the power and the durability advantage in all likelihood over Colby Covington. So I think it's really a style matchup thing. If you have good reason to to make Usman not want to take you down, it could be an exciting fight because Usman is a good striker, right? He's got solid fundamentals. I don't think he would do well in a striking match against somebody like Masvidal, just purely striking because of how risk-averse Usman generally is against dangerous opponents. And in this matchup, think about it. Usman spent the majority of that first round with Gilbert Burns on his back, and he just kind of just kept kicking his leg. Like, that's bore, That's the same boring guy that we've come to know over the years, right, in, in Usman. And what made this exciting is that Gilbert Burns was willing to make the mistakes in the stand-up, is that Gilbert Burns, uh, as you alluded to, kind of tired himself out on those first couple of minutes trying to finish uh, his old training partner. And that's exactly what led to him being so much more finishable later in the bout. Uh, but yeah, look, his chin is a factor. The size difference between these two guys is monumental. They look like they're about the same thickness, but it looked to me like Usman was significantly bigger. And you could see that as soon as and they And I thought Usman looked leaner for this. I actually thought Usman looked smaller than he used to look. Um, it might be because he's training at elevation, but if you look at, uh, there was actually somebody on Twitter posted several images of Usman with his walkaways after a big win. Uh, I think against, uh, against Colby Covington, against Tyron Woodley, against Gilbert Burns, uh, against Rafael Desanos as well. Even though a couple of those were decisions, you kind of see him walking away against a, an opponent who's just on the floor, who just looks lost. And he looked pretty like pretty close to identical when it comes to his body type i think like maybe earlier in his career like for some reason i remember him being just super super buff whereas he never yeah. really was super buff like he he doesn't have that i'm on steroids look even though i'm a fighter he he look he has the i lift weights and i and i do serious strength and conditioning look even though i have crazy genetics like he's not as just like outwardly muscular as some of these uh, guys are that have popped for juice before. Even Tari Woodley er earlier in his career was, I think, more muscular than he is. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the body type makes sense. I don't know that he looked much leaner. He may have. But I think what made a difference is that he's really been focusing on his boxing and his jab really is a piston. And it has been leading up to this fight. His body shots are significant. Gilbert Burns was super comfortable on his back as uh, Usman was just landing those leg kicks, right? From that, Usman was standing over Gilbert Burns and then as soon as Usman landed a couple of body shots, Gilbert Burns desperately started working to get up. And I think those body shots are a factor on top of the fact that Burns, again, gassed himself out on that first round. So I think this just kind of made it for a, a number of factors that all led to Usman picking up the win. I spoke last week about some of the kind of strengths and weaknesses of each of these guys. And I talked about Usman's size advantage being a factor, his strength, his power advantage being a factor, um, the power in his hands, right? The fact that he's got more knockdowns than Gilbert, the fact that he's never been knocked down, even though Gilbert's been knocked down multiple times. I thought all of those things would kind of play into it, even though Burns should be the faster guy with more weapons. Um, I think it's a shame also that Burns got in love with the punching because of his success early, and he didn't throw those calf kicks, which I expected to possibly be a factor for him. So, yeah, just Burns wasn't ready for the moment, unfortunately, for him, and it's almost like hurting Usman early hurt Burns more than it hurt Usman. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's fair. Um, and that's, you know, as Usman says, he's a whole different animal in there. It's a championship mentality. You gotta, yeah. you gotta love a guy like that.
Um, Absolutely. Us- Usman is a special kind of fighter, and he's 33 now. I don't know how much longer he'll remain durable. Like, we saw him get uh, phased a little bit. Uh, allegedly, um, he broke his nose in his last fight. He claims it was before his last fight. I guess that's possible. He got buzzed by Kobe Covington a few times, and then he was hurt by Gilbert Burns. So we're seeing now that he's a lot less durable than he used to be. He's 33 years old, right? That's not necessarily Well, he's also fighting the best guy. He's fighting, I mean, the you know, the absolute best guys. I, I do hear that, but Kobe Covington isn't known for knocking people out. Gilbert Burns has power, and he's fast as hell, but we haven't seen Usman hurt to that extent before. Yeah, like, it was again, a perfect it, it, shot, seeing, though. It was. Uh, I agree, but again, we're seeing more and more of this over time. Gilbert Burns, three years ago against Usman, I don't think anybody would even think that Gilbert Burns has a shot to hurt him, let alone anything else. Granted, he was a different fighter back then. I just feel like the durability is slowly waning, and we're starting to see signs of how he could lose, and I think it would take... an excellent excellent defensive wrestler who has serious power in his hands who can w- avoid that jab and who can avoid those body shots which is asking for a lot right i don't see yeah, anybody I mean, I'm looking up uh, and down the list i don't uh right i mean I honestly he's, he's there, not the yeah. guy to do it but it's almost it's kind of a lorenz larkin style uh, yeah except that lorenz larkin would get taken down i think relatively yeah. easy by him yeah uh, which is probably right. the thing that would hurt him but yeah i mean it, it it will be hard to find i actually think uh speaking of the lima brothers i know we're gonna quickly cover uh diego well, lima's, yeah. lima's fight uh Di- i'm sorry uh, the other lima brothers fight but diego lima he might be the best style matchup against uh against usman and i hope that the ufc can sign him uh, i think uh, like not, Die- not diego gets, you mean the other lima oh i'm sorry you're right it was um what the heck is Douglas? the other Lima's name? Douglas Lima, that's it. Thank you, Nikolai. Yeah, Douglas Lima is the perfect, I think, guy to potentially give Usman serious trouble. His leg kicks are nasty. His boxing is serious. His takedown defense is impeccable. And I think Usman might have some trouble with du- uh, Douglas Lima if no one else. I wouldn't, I mean, I don't think he can quite pull it off. But, yeah, I think he's probably too old already. But I wouldn't say no to a fight, uh, a fight with Bilal Muhammad. I think Muhammad's. Uh, I mean, I guess he'd probably take Muhammad down, but he's got pretty good takedown defense, and he moves. He's got good footwork, and he, and he moves quick. I mean, it's Muhammad's yeah. probably four victories away from that. But um, I mean, Muhammad, if he starts running his mouth, honestly, he could set him up, set himself up for a title eliminator bout next. He's just not the type of guy to do it. One and two, I think, like with Muhammad, what we've seen in his career is that the much more athletic guys that have their shit together are probably going to beat him. And that's I, why the Li Ji Lang fight's going to be so interesting cuz that that's a real that's he called out the perfect guy to see if he's got the stuff. Yeah, I'm interested in the matchup. I, I you know, I, I think it's a decent style matchup still for Belal, but I am interested in the matchup. I, I guess let's quickly get into that fight before we uh, work our way down the card. Belal Muhammad basically dominated Diego Lima. I think we expected that. The only thing that was unexpected is that Lima's takedown defense has gone up a couple of levels, but Lima still doesn't respond well to pressure, and Belal was able to put it on. He respond well to pressure, and his yeah, I mean you can't. You can't win a fight standing up against the cage throwing throwing leg kicks. And he threw really I mean, he threw really good leg kicks, but they didn't really slow Muhammad down. And he threw I mean, I think between the two of them they threw over five hundred significant strikes, but Bilal Muhammad threw I think close to three hundred, if not three hundred, and he landed an extremely high percentage of those. He looked fantastic. I can't wait to watch him fight again. Yeah, I look forward to it as well. It's just again like we're not seeing a whole lot of power on him. He landed so many shots against the guy with a pretty bad chin. 
we're still not seeing a whole lot of power. And I think like that, despite how hard he's working on his um, strength and conditioning, I think that's probably going to be the thing that keeps him from that top five territory. Maybe he'll make it in the top five, but I don't realistically think he's going to work his way uh, to a title around his waist, even an interim title, even though I'd love to see it. I think Bilal's such a likable guy. He's a guy that's like earned everything that he's gotten, right? He's earned it the hard way. He's worked his ass off through everything he's had to do. Uh, even the fact that he has to take, uh, you know, train through um, Ramadan often enough where he doesn't get to eat during the daylight hours and he's still winning fights at that time of year. Like the, the guy is just really likable, really good dude. And I love to see him win. Uh, I do hope that he gets a top 10 uh, opponent next. I think that's exactly the kind of matchup that we need to see for a guy in his position. Like let's stop. There's no reason for him to have fought Diego, um, Diego Lima in this matchup, right? Diego Lima is not, I did think it was, yeah, I did think that it was a little off. Um, yeah. I mean, the next I haven't been in love with UFC's matchmaking in a lot of these divisions, honestly. I'm, I think some of them are they're doing a pretty solid job, but some of them they're really missing the mark. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah. So who does he fight next? It's a good question. I, I would love somebody in the top ten. Let me quickly look at the who's one. I mean, you could give him the you could give him the winner of Woodley Luke. Yes, I, I absolutely love that idea. Oh wait, no, but he, he called out. I'm before? sorry, he called out Li Jing Lang. I just mentioned that. I guess, but and I, I think I, mean, I think he'll probably get him after he just. Ha- I mean, he just had that that ferocious KO of Santiago Ponzinibbio, of course, coming off of that long lull, but yeah, it's, I mean, I think if he went like that, that victory, Li Lang's victory made more noise um, than Bilal Muhammad's. And I think that, I think that, I think he, I think he called out the right guy. Um, and then it's a, and then it's a smart move. I guess he called uh, out the right guy. If he's looking to, move his way up one rung. Like right now in the UFC rankings, he's ranked at 13. Li Jingliang is number 12, right? Like he could be calling out a, a, a Luke, like you said. I think a Woodley Luke uh, matchup would be perfect for him, right? Like that's the yeah. kind of thing that he needs to get into now. Neil Magny, the guy that beat Li Jingliang, why not call him you out? Know, well, he's coming, off, he's coming off of a loss and I, I feel like we'll probably see him fight um, either Joff Neal or rematch Ponzinibbio. I, I guess yeah, and, and I guess they always I, do. I they just, always do the they always do the win win loss loss thing. They just they're yeah, not they changing often that. Do, but I really don't see what Bilal Muhammad has to gain by beating a guy that's one rung above him when there are so many names that are a couple levels above that. He could be calling out Damian Meyer, right? Could be calling out Michael Chiesa, uh, Stephen Thompson if he has the guts to do it. But he's calling out a guy that's maybe he knows his limitations. Maybe the title is not what he's chasing, and maybe he feels like he's not quite ready for it. Maybe he feels like he has more developing to do. And I get that. Uh, I just I kind of I kind of want to see him against top ten, uh, top heck, top ten. I think is he's really one fight away. For. I think that's a I think that is a fight night headliner. It would be him against either him against Li Zhang would be I would be a fight night headliner and. I think the winner, the winner of that fight, could get the winner of uh, of Luke A. Woodley. Um, guys like you know Maya, Stephen Thompson, they're old. They're only they're gonna they're not really looking. I mean, Thompson did that fight against Joff Neal, but you know I still think a lot of these guys are they're they're looking for um, fights against stars, not against prospects. Which is what keeps a division in a lock where you have the top no, eight, I, seven I or eight fighters like a like a lightweight. This is kind of happening at welterweight a little bit as well, where you have the top fighters seemingly not willing to fight the lower level competition, right? And that's what doesn't allow for new blood to come in. I mean, if you look at his resume, he's been beating guys on this level forever now, Li Jingliang level, right? Jordan Main, Randy Brown, Tim Means, 
Curtis Millender, Takashi Sato, Lyman Good. He's done this already. I would love to see him move up, but I understand if he feels like he's not ready. No reason for me to force him. Uh, let's look down at the co-main event. This is one that we... Uh, I ended up changing my pick to Barber. That was a mistake on my part. Almost every time I do that, yeah. I end up paying for it. And we and can talk we- about this one quickly because we already we already went over it a bit and we still got a few yeah. other fights to talk about. Yeah, Grosso just uh, outboxed her early. She did a really good job on the defensive wrestling. Macy Barber's not a high-level wrestler. She's not really all that technical anywhere. Uh, she has tenacity, and she has athleticism, and she has power. And that's what she used in that third round. I just wish she would have used that in the, in the first and second round as well. Um, uh, yeah, it was just a See, really I think good she, performance I think she Grosso. tried to, but Grosso at that point had, had the energy and the technique. She knew what was coming. She watched it, and she had... She had the accurate response for everything everything Barber did. Barber got her against the against the fence. Grasso had the right technique to change the position. Um, she would she would come in wild. Grasso would pe- would pepper her with a one two. She would she would charge at her. Grasso would cut her off. Like I just thought that uh, I thought that Grasso w- was had the had a great game plan. Was ready and left Barber not knowing what you know what to do when her plan a's did not go right and uh, in the and by the third round i think barber did turn it up because she was she was desperate and a little more wild and at that point i think grasso was was one more tight was tired two knew that she had won the first two rounds and uh and yeah like there was macy was definitely doing some swarming but she's not gonna she's not gonna beat top 10 competition with that strategy she she needs to become much more refined no, I agree. She needed to make this a dirty fight, which is what she did in that third round. And and here's what I will say. In that third round, Grasso, uh, Barber, excuse me, threw 60 strikes. In the second round, she threw 44. Like, that makes a difference. And and I realize that it's not a huge uh, a gulf there, right? But that makes a difference. And if you look at, um, if you look at uh, Grasso's stats, she threw 21 in the first round, 36 in the second round, 24 in the third round. So, her like her output didn't necessarily wane. I just feel like it was Macy Barber's aggression that was really the big difference. And maybe you're right. Maybe I'm not giving enough credit to the fact that Grosso was a little more tired. I just felt like Grosso was still countering her occasionally, but it seemed like Barber was able to throw out more out there than Grosso was able to counter effectively. And even though the occasion that Grosso did counter her, it did seem to have an effect, right? I, I do get that. Um, I just feel like to win this fight, and I agree, long term, it's not the best strategy. To win this fight, she needed more aggression, and she did it a little bit too late. Uh, as far as next matchups for Grasso, we're looking at her in the top 10 now. I think Roxanne Matafari would be great. Um, Jessica I, even though she's on a bit of a losing streak, Arujo would be would be cool with me. But I think like my ideal matchup for her would be Joanne Calderwood. I think it would be a striker's delight. And it would put her up against a seasoned veteran. And it would be exciting as hell and potentially put her into that top six or seven in the world. Yeah, I like, I like either one of those fights. Um, I think... I mean, Orojo's got some, uh, has some real, Orojo's who just defeated Roxy, correct? Yes. Yeah. Orojo's got a lot of pop. I think she's got more pop than Collarwood does. Uh, Collarwood's got that great technique. Either one of those fights sounds great to me. Yeah, I would I would like to see any of these three girls face each other in some capacity. I think Calderwood versus Arujo would be entertaining as well. But I think Arujo has a higher ceiling on paper than do uh, any of these other two. Then does well, uh, she's strong. Grasso. I mean, she's so yeah, she's oh, so so Calderwood. strong. Uh, yeah. She's a good grappler. Like I think I think you're probably right. Um, I do wonder about her ability to fight five rounds because she does look more worn in that third round in more cases than not, given her speed and explosiveness. 
at some point, uh, you know, Grasso moved up to this weight class, but she's going to run into, and it didn't happen with Barber, um, cause her tech, cause her technique was better, but, um, with the more power, with the more powerful flyweights, uh, she's going to run into some trouble. Um, you yeah, know, wrestling, you, wrestling, man. wrestling, Cynthia Cavillo, rest, trying to wrestle Jennifer Maya. Those, those things are, uh, yeah, she's not, she's not going to want to play that clinch game with, with some of these, uh, other contenders. Agreed. Um, so down the card quickly, we have, uh, this, you know, fairly dominant decision by Ricky Simone. I think we expected him to be able to get takedowns almost at will. He, he put the pressure on. It just seems like Brian Kelleher can't beat the super athletic high level opponent. He can beat the prospects, right. That are not quite ready for this level of the UFC. He's kind of a good gatekeeper, I think to the top 10 or 15 in the UFC. And I think that's maybe a good role for him. He's an action fighter, always exciting to watch. So I have no problem with that. Simone like it was about a little over a year ago, he lost that his second fight in a row. It was to Rob Font, um, you know, who's who's certainly on the up and up. I wouldn't mind seeing that rematch sometime soon. But then he had that terrific fight against Borg, um, outclassed and two wins already this year against Gaetano right. Perello and Brian Kelleher. So he's you know he's making waves. He's on he's on the way up. Does a really good job in the uh, in the interviews. And uh, who do we want for him next? For Simone, right? Because he, he's in this weird position where he's beaten some fairly high-level competition, but he's also lost to a couple of guys that he should have beaten. Um, let me look at the division quickly. Stalling for time this entire time as I say this. Um, Sorry, Frank. I mean, I guess I don't know what Frankie's going to so do. Yus- Is it got, Yusuf uh, would be interesting. Is this 135 or 145? 135. Oh, you're right. That's one division down. Um, I'm going to say... We've already seen him face the Australia. I don't know if Dominic Cruz is scheduled as of now. I think that might be interesting in, the, in a fight. He where, is. Dominic Cruz is fighting Casey Kenny in uh, three weeks. Interesting. Oh, that's great. That's a great matchup. Rafael Sunsau would be interested in. I don't know if they're going to reschedule Pedro Munoz versus Jimmy Rivera, but one of those guys I would definitely be down for. Maybe if Frankie Edgar is looking for you know a five round main event uh, against you know against the younger up and comer, that could be interesting. A younger up and comer who doesn't have a whole lot of power in his hands, I'd be interested in that. If Marlon Barice is trying to come back soon, that would be a great matchup. Oh, I, I think there's you know a plethora what? of options for this kid. It's a win. It's a win against a loss, but the fight. The, the Ricky Simone fight to make is Marlon Vera. I'm into that. I, I love that, actually. Yeah, and, and I think stylistically that presents interesting challenges for both guys. I love that, yep. Nick, because Marlon Vera, um, he should not be – he is number 15. So that would be a step up on paper for uh, for uh, for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm into that matchup. I think that makes a lot of sense for Ricky Simone. And then we have uh, Julian Marquez, who Nick was dominated by Maki Patolo for two rounds, right? Patolo yep. seemed to have just taken a whole new approach to this thing. He decided that he was going to push with his wrestling and his pressure against Marquez, who has shown weaknesses in that department before. But as usual, Marquez comes back and looks really strong late. He gets stronger as the fight goes on. He knew he had to go for broke in that third round, and he did, man. He got it with less than a minute to go. He got that anaconda choke. Really impressive stuff by uh, Julian Marquez. And I think what's making even more news than his win is the fact that he called out Miley Cyrus and asked her to be his Valentine. And you know what, Nick? She replied. Kind of cool. She did. Yeah, smart, you know, fun fun move, great fight. I felt, I didn't think Maki Patolo had a shot. I didn't think he was, that he, he had proved that he kind of wasn't a USC level guy and he proved me wrong and I really kind of feel bad he didn't get the win. But... Yeah, he, this was he, still a good one. But here's what's fight. really weird: no fight of the night bonus for these guys. Uh, who ended up getting the fight of the night? No, I there wasn't was... one. They gave four performance bonuses and no fight of the night. Oh, interesting. 
Dang. Okay. So no loser got a bonus is what you're saying. Good to know. Okay. I figured the uh, Burns-Usman fight might get it just because of the back and forth nature of that one. Uh, but yeah, th- that's interesting enough to me. Quickly, uh, Kelvin Gastelum, by the way, came back to form Nikolai, went in there employing all of his skills. He talked about how he's made changes uh, when it comes to his mental approach to fights, how he's made changes to his strength and conditioning. Nick, he looked for the first time to be in good physical shape ever in his UFC career. He, for the first time in his UFC career, did not look chubby, right? And there are some guys who cannot avoid that no matter how hard they train. They will always look that way. And I thought that Kelvin Ashland fell into that category. But now that he's dating a strength and conditioning coach, I think that's really done a lot for him. He looked in phenomenal shape. I think his team really came behind him on this one. They employed uh, the idea of actually using his wrestling, which is something that he's not been using over the last several years in his career. And Ian Heinich, who has shown weakness in matchups where he's the less athletic guy who is not who does not have the wrestling advantage, Kelvin Gashlin took advantage of that and looked really good in this one. Yeah, he was... Uh, I thought he looked... I did think he looked really good. I thought he would land... Uh, more and harder shots. I thought he might get Heinish out of there, but um, the best part the best part were his um, his level changes. He landed a gorgeous slam, um, but good you know good to see him on the on the up and up. I think he'll uh, you know he'll find him he'll probably find himself in a uh, <clears throat> a heck of a middleweight scrap next. When we look at let's see here, pulling up the. The middleweight rankings. I was on a different ranking page, and now I'm stalling for time <laughs> while pulling up the rankings, and they're not coming up. I use the ranking ranking MMA site, not the UFC one, because I feel like it's less uh, political. I do hear that, but I feel like the UFC rankings is what influences matchmaking, which is why yeah. I tend to go to that, even though I don't always agree with it. I think some of them make little sense, and it's more of a popularity. Well, the, the other thing that the ranking you the ranking MMA site does is it tells you what fight they have scheduled. If they have one, oh, so I can, it lets I can me it lets me that. see who, uh, you know, I'd love to see Gastelum Vittori. That's a hell of a fight. Um, I still think Gastelum yes. could could. I'd love to see him run it back with Till because I think he wasn't himself that. Then um, Gastelum Kevin Holland is is a massive fight. Yes. Um, I mean, it's all or Uriah Gastelum Hall, getting getting a rematch against the winner of Uriah Hall Chris Weidman when that happens. Yes. So yes. I mean, no I no shortage that. no shortage of fights uh, for Gastelum. But if he wants to make another push. Uh, for this for the strap, wherever that strap's going to be, who knows what happens if Adesanya beats Jan Blachowicz. But um, Marvin Vittori would be the... I'd call out Cannoneer if I was him. Uh, Vittori, I think he's scheduled. I think it might be against Uriah Hall, but I could be wrong. I know he's no, he can't fight. be. He can't be scheduled against Uriah Hall because they haven't fully I'm sorry, canceled. not Uriah Hall. Kevin Holland is who I meant, but I could be wrong. I know that Vittori's you definitely might be right. scheduled in the next couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it might be Derek Brunson, maybe. I, I don't have it in front of me, but... But yeah, I would be I would be interested in seeing Kelvin Gastelum again. I think calling out Jaron Cannonier would be smart on his part, and outside of that, um, eventually working his way to maybe a rematch with Till with a win over somebody like uh, Derek Brunson, I think would do a lot for him. Derek Brunson and Kelvin Gastelum are ranked number seven and eight in the UFC rankings, and they're and they're kind of these veterans who have fallen on hard times and then recently gotten their games back together. Both have wins over Heinich, so I think that that matchup I think might make a lot of sense. Although I know that, uh, you know, it might be Vittori versus Brunson. Somebody, Vittori's fighting somebody in the near future. I know that for sure. Um, but yeah, the, all of those options would, I think, be interesting. And I think also the matchup of this Vittori fight might actually open himself up to the opportunity to fight Gashalom. But I think Vittori, if he comes out with the win in the next couple of weeks, I think he's going to be looking up at either a title shot or a title eliminator next. So either way, it should be interesting. Uh, then we have, man, the biggest upset of the night. We knew there was going to be one or two, right? And it yeah, was this, in one of, <laughs> this, against one of the biggest your, favorites. 
It was on your card, man. Oh, well. Yes, sir. Yeah, we we both felt good about Vieira. I actually spoke last week about how Anthony Hernandez looked really good in his five-round fight against Brendan Allen, who's also known as a series grappler. And a lot of that fight took place on the ground, and he looked good. He won that fight, right? And so I thought his potential was much higher than the skill that he's shown in the UFC thus far. And he pulled it through in this matchup, man. He, like, did well in getting back up to his feet. Rodolfo Vieira doesn't have the best submission, uh, doesn't have the best gas tank, given the way that he looks, given how, how much he explodes into his takedowns. And man, was the guy to take advantage of it. Fluffy Anthony Hernandez. That was super impressive. Uh, again, I, sp- I literally ended my breakdown of this fight last week in talking about how I hope that Anthony Hernandez shows his potential soon because he really does have much higher potential than he's shown. And man, did he do it in this matchup after getting submitted in his UFC debut against a much lower level grappler in Marcus Perez, who has just been released by the UFC because he's not that successful at this level, came out with a huge win over the undefeated Rodolfo Vieira. Yeah, that one, uh, you know, all I, all I have to say is thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that was another kind of clutch win for you that, that led to your uh, victory last week is because I ended up picking that fight and not you. Um, I don't know if I need to see Fluffy against top 15 level competition, but if it is going to be somebody in the top 15, I think Sean Strickland or Brad Tavares uh, are in the conversation. Outside of that, I think anybody below that would be interesting. I think he has some developing to do, and I think this will give him the confidence that he needs in order to actually take advantage of his skills. So we've got uh, we've got 15 fights to call. Should we get oh, on to, uh, not kidding. to um, Fight Night 185? Uh, yeah, just a real quick. Pollyanna Vienna, submission, first round win. Chris Gutierrez, uh, nice decision as we expected over Andrew Ewell. And Gabe Green did a good job against Philip Rowe. Uh, we are done with this card, Nikolai. Let's take a break. Come yeah, back. Philip, and Philip Rowe, I thought he had a case maybe for that. I thought, I mean, I guess the he took too much damage to the legs. Those were knockdowns. But he looked, he had great yeah. moments. He, he did have good moments, but but again, given his size advantage and the fact that he was knocked down several times, he had the good moments given his size advantage, and he's fairly fast, fairly athletic, but I think uh, his high-level training helped him. His low-level opposition prior to this fight hurt him, right? He, he hasn't been through those fights where he had to persevere through some tough times and, and push through and, and get the win anyhow very often. He only had to do that in his contender series bout. And Gabe Green is, you know, his pressure, he gets stronger as the fight goes on. And Philip Rose, uh, most of his wins are over really, really, really shitty competition. So it kind of uh, came to roost in this one. But I think Philip Rowe has some potential. I agree with you there, buddy. Let's take a break, come back, and break down UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis. Back on the podcast, and we're going to break down UFC Fight Night, Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. Nikolai, Blades, and Lewis, uh, it's bound to happen sooner or later, right? We got Lewis, who is takeable downable. He's been taken down a bunch of times in his career. But then if you get tired of taking him down, he will knock you out. And then we got Curtis Blades, who showed in his last fight, or maybe two fights ago, that he will get tired late if he keeps having to take you down. And he's shown that he can be knocked out, but he's relentless with his takedowns. His takedown technique is the best, I think, in heavyweight by far. He's fast and athletic. It's a fascinating matchup. And I am looking forward to this main event. Honestly, this overall card has a bunch of like pretty exciting things, uh, I think, coming up. You have the first pick this week. Uh, just quickly, the way we do it is we each take turns picking fighters on the card. Whoever ends up with uh, drafting more winning fighters 
at the end of Saturday night ends up winning the week. Uh, more importantly, though, to our total tally, uh, it'll contribute, right? So if Nick ends up with uh, with five winning fighters and I end up with three, that'll be a big win for Nick. Nikolai, you have the first wi- first pick this week. Go for it, buddy. Yep, and I'm going to make this my first pick, although it brings me not that much pleasure to do it. Uh, I'm going to pick the jiu-jitsu instructor and Tyson Fury training partner and capital boxer Tom Aspinall uh, to take out um, Andre Arlovsky, you know, a terrific boxer himself who trained a wild card with Freddie Roach back in the day leading up to his fight with Fedor Milnyanko. Um Arlovsky's still really good. He's just, I think this is his 50th UFC fight, but Aspinall is, I think at this point, um, bigger, faster, and uh, and and, pro- and just probably a, a better boxer with more pop and a better chin. I just don't see a path to victory for Orlovsky here. I think it's a I think it's a, a particularly unfavorable matchup. Um, sure, something crazy could still happen, but I think um, Aspinall really seems to hurt people when he hits him. Um, and Orlovsky's chin over the last five or six years has not been very bad. He's only been knocked out by absolute killers. Um, yeah. but I think, but I think Aspinall has the makings of one of those. So I, I, I expect him to, uh, to knock out Arlovsky probably early. Nick Arlovsky, I believe is riding a three fight winning streak into this one, right? After we wrote him off again a couple of years ago for maybe the fifth time in his career. That's the thing is that these prospects that aren't ready, Arlovsky will beat them probably by decision. It probably won't be super exciting. He's done it time and again as this level of underdog time and time again. And Aspinall has power. He's, he, he's power. He has, he's fast. He's aggressive. No one has tried to take down on him in the UFC yet. And I tend to think his ground game is still his weak point, even though he's supposed to be a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Just looking at the last time he's been on the ground, man, he did not look good at all. He was like a fish out of water. Granted, that was like five years ago. I'm picking Aspinall, but if Arlovsky makes it out of round one, I think he wins. Um, Aspinall has never won a fight that has gone past the first round, right? So his gas tank is another thing I have questions about, especially given how fast and explosive he is early. His average fight time is two minutes and 20 seconds. That's crazy. He fought a total of 25 minutes in his entire career, and Arlovsky has over nine hours of competition time. But he is also 15 years younger than Arlovsky. I think he should be able to land a clean shot early on the aging veteran, but I'm a little bit less confident in this one than you are. This, this you know, in, in my three or four top picks, but not quite my first. Uh, for my first picnic, and uh, I, don't think, I don't think there's an easy out for any for any of these picks as far as uh, what's easy to pick. I'm going to go with Drakkar close to beat Luis Pena. I tend to think Luis Pena is a guy who has like some skills in different departments. He has a wrestling background, decent striking, okay on the ground. But I think close's pressure will be too much for him. I think close should have the striking advantage. I think he should have the wrestling advantage in this one, which is really most of what you need against Pena. Also, close gets stronger as the fight goes on, and Pena tends to kind of tire out. Part of the reason he lost uh, his last bout in the third round to Karma Worthy. So even though Drakkar Close is coming off a loss to Benil Darius, who is probably top five quality, I'm going to pick close here with some confidence to beat Luis Pena. I think at minus 210, you could put close in a parlay or two. Uh, he's a fairly safe bet. I would also seriously consider uh, putting close uh, a, a bet on close by decision just because he tends to win that way. He very rarely finishes his opponents. That was good. That was my number three, my number three pick. Uh, so I definitely had it uh-huh. up there. Um, so you grab that one away, but my number two pick is still there, uh, which is I'm going to pick um, pretty boy Jamal Emmers. Um <clears throat> 
who uh, has been pretty he's been pretty solid fighting all over the place the last uh, two or three years. He's got that split decision loss to, to Gika Chikadze, who I think we would agree is the real deal. Um, but he's taking on Chaz Skelly, um, a UFC a UFC veteran, but one who has never. Um, you know, aside, he had that win over Maximo Blanco, but he, he hasn't, uh, and, <clears throat> and was also able to take out Jordan Griffin, but I don't think that he, um, has, has defeated anyone as athletically gifted uh, as Jamal Emers is. I suspect that I think Emers should be able to hurt him on the feet. And I could also see him, uh, ending up in top position doing some ground and pound. But I, I look at this as a likely 30, 27, um, for Jamal Emers. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know about 20, 30, 27. Could very well be 29, 28, but I agree with you. I think uh, Ember's decision is likely. Chess Kelly tends to kind of get tired as a fight goes on. He's got a really good kind of uh, front headlock choke series, and that's a position where Ember's better not mess around. Ember's has shown in a couple of his last bouts that like his MMA IQ isn't always the highest, right? He won't take a fight to where he should have the biggest advantage um, until right. sometimes it's too late, uh, kind of like we were talking about that Barbara fight in, in, the, in the last segment. So there is some risk, but I, I agree with you. I think Jamal Embers having the wrestling advantage, he should be the better striker here. Unless he ends up on his back early on against Skelly, he should do well here. And, and again, the fact that Skelly gets weaker as the fight goes on and Embers gets stronger, I think is only going to work in Embers' favor. So I am there with you on the pick. My next pick is going to be... Uh, I'm going to take Caitlin Vera to beat Yana Kunitskaya. Kunitskaya is a big girl herself, right? Both these girls are, are fairly large for the division. But the thing about Kunitskaya is she's not very dynamic, right? Like she, right. if you're a good striker and she can't take you down, she'll just hope, ho- hold on to you in the clinch against the fence and hope for the best, essentially. And I don't think that'll work against Caitlin Vera, whose best either. takedowns are in the clinch, right? She's a judo black belt on top of being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And also Caitlin Vera, even though like she keeps her chin in the center line, she's a dynamic, explosive striker. I think she's going to have the edge in the feet. She should be able to end up on top uh, when it comes to the wrestling department. I think at the clinch, she should have the edge. Um, I think the only place Yana Kuniskaya could do okay is if she ends up on top because Vera tends to stay on her back looking for submissions. But I don't necessarily think that's very likely to happen here. So I've got Caitlin Vera all the way. Yep, that was my number four pick. So we're uh, we're pretty we're pretty close to in lockstep here, I guess. Um, yep. Uh, so I'll go, I guess I'll go with my number five pick, which is, uh, sexy Mexi, right? Castaneda, uh, to take out Eddie Wineland. Um, frankly, this is mostly just cause I think Wineland's over the hill. Like, I don't think he, he's, uh, he's been winging. I feel like he's been winging punches, um, not throwing combos for, uh, for several fights now. And I just don't, I don't know that he's, uh, that he's UFC level anymore. I expect him, um, you know, he's got a puncher's chance for sure, but I just expect him to get outworked uh, by Castaneda over the course of three rounds. Yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible, and Eddie Wineland does. I mean, he's up there in age, right? He's been fighting forever now. The thing about him is that... He was I, badly knocked out in his last fight also. He he was, but it was against, like, a different level of opponent. I'm picking Wineland sure, because sure he has about much... That? Um, then John Castaneda, who, who did Eddie Wineland lose no. his fight last fight to? Sean O'Malley. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess we're not sure, but like we know that Sean O'Malley is a successful UFC fighter overall. And we know that John Castaneda is one in three or one in two in his last uh, few fights. Like, and uh, I'm sorry, I think he's one in three in his last four fights. And two of those fights were in like combat Americas, uh, which is like 
a lower level organization. So I have trouble having confidence in him. He looked pretty good in his UFC debut, uh, but I, I am edging toward Wineland because of experience. It takes a pretty solid fighter or a fighter with serious power to, to take him out. And Constantino doesn't really have a whole lot of knockouts on his record. Um, he didn't look bad in his UFC debut, debut but again, the one and three record as of late has me uh, going with the experienced veteran who has a similar record against much higher level of competition. We'll see what happens. Yes, sir. So we got our first point of disagreement. And, and again, I'll watch a little more tape on Castaneda. Maybe I'm underestimating him here. I'm I, I'm open to changing my mind throughout this week. Uh, my next pick, I think I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Curtis Blades to beat Derek Lewis. Wow. This is a bad style matchup for Lewis on paper, right? He only defends one of every two takedowns attempted on him. Curtis is the most prolific takedown artist in the heavyweight history with an average of more than two takedowns per round, which is like really significant. But Lewis has made a career of allowing his opponents to take him down multiple times before finishing them since taking down giant people is really tiring. Lewis is also good at getting up from bottom position to being on the feet where he's very dangerous. So again, I see the risk here. I think the odds are way too wide. I think a prop way bet on too L- wide. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I think a prop bet on Lewis by KO is worth uh, dishing a little bit of money on. It's not a bet that you definitely, you know, ha- think is likely going to come through, but given the odds here, I think it's a, it's an opportunity, right? You bet not the matchup, but you bet the odds. And I think there's an opportunity there, but I am picking Curtis blades. I think he's going to be able to get takedowns on Derek Lewis and Lewis has been looking better and better over the last uh, couple of years. He's been putting more of his game together. But I think like his win over Olenek, I, I hear you that he ended up pounding him out after surviving on the ground for a moment or two. But Olenek was like 225 pounds. And Lewis was like 265. Like there's a huge weight disparity yep. there. And Curtis Blades is fast, explosive. I hope that he's not going to make the same mistakes he uh, made in his last matchup. And I, I think he's going to come through with the decision here. Yeah, I think it's I think it's most likely. I, but you just never know. <laughs> you never know. With I think what's most likely is that Blades is able to get takedowns, rides him hard. Lewis gives up his neck, um, probably like late in the second. But you don't. You don't know. Um, but I mean, Lewis doesn't really get submitted. I mean, I know I'm making an argument against myself here, but Lewis doesn't really get submitted. He got submitted Curtis by Blades Daniel. Really he got submitted that. by Daniel Cormier, and I True. feel like and I feel like Blades is going to get the same kind of positions that Cormier got. Um, I, I hope you're right for Blades' sake, because that man needs to finish. Or you know what? I shouldn't say that. He's finished plenty of fights. I, I should not say that. He's finished over him among uh, – he finished uh, JDS. He, he's definitely got his finishes on his record. Yeah, he just had he had Dana White not loving him too much after the Volkov fight. Um, Dana White's a hater against anyone who complains about their contract or money or fighter's rights or any of that sort. He can go himself, goddammit. <laughs> Next pick, I'm going to go with Draco Rodriguez uh, to defeat Eleman Zahabi. Um, despite the Zahabi pedigree, he just has not looked comfortable in the in the UFC cage. I don't know what the deal is, but I, I can't see him um, having an answer to Draco Rodriguez's aggression, which I think will probably win out over the course of three rounds. I don't know that he'll get the finish, um, but I could I could see I could see it taking two rounds um, for Iman Zahabi to get to kind of get comfortable and find his stride. Yeah, Zahabi has the coaching and the last name to be a feared fighter in MMA, but he doesn't have the athleticism to employ his skills against like the kind of middle to upper echelon UFC competition. Draco's a solid striker with good takedown defense, and I think that'll probably be enough to earn a win over the less athletic Zahabi who's riding a two-fight losing streak. Well, he streak. also seems tentative, not just on athletic, yeah, but he seems tentative. I agree with you, especially after that knockout loss. I think it was to Hamos. I'm picking Draco Rodriguez to beat Eamon Zahabi by decision, so we are in agreement there, and that was going to be one of my next few picks. 
my next pick, and I, hmm, this is where it gets a little bit tougher in my opinion. I'm going to take Casey O'Neill to beat Shayna Dobson. I think that O'Neill had Shayna Dobson not come out with a huge uh, underdog win in her last bout against Maria Agapova. I think O'Neill would have been a big favorite here. I don't like Dobson's chances in this matchup, right? The main reason she won is because Agapova blew her gas tank in the first. I don't expect O'Neill to mismanage her energy like that. She is the stronger grappler and should be at least as good standing on the feet. So I'm picking Casey O'Neill to pick a decisive win in her UFC debut here. Yeah, this one is this is one of my I had this for one of my last picks. I just don't know. Um but I I guess I I guess I agree with you, but I won't be surprised if Dobson does something uh wild again. Um my next pick, I think um I think that <clears throat> I got to look up. Oh, I think that Derek Minner is in for a tough time um with Charles Rosa, who I suspect well, I think Minner in, in his career previously has been susceptible to the sub. Charles Rosa has really good jits. Um I think uh I think that the Massachusetts fighter should be able to um take out uh, <clears throat> take out Minner. Yeah, I I am there with you. Rosa isn't like very dynamic. He's not very athletic, but he does have skills just about everywhere. And Minner is super, super dangerous early in the first three or four minutes of a fight. He literally just expends his entire gas tank in that period of time. That's why he like has a bunch of wins in the first round. But then if he gets past that against an experienced opponent, he's not going to do well. So I think Rosa is, you know, he can be, he can be beaten. He can be dominated by a good opponent, but that opponent's got to be able to do that for all 15 minutes. And Rosa will look good. I think in the second and third round, he might even have a chance at a finisher, even though he's not uh, known as a finisher in this matchup, given how tired Derek Minner will be. But Minner has a good camp behind him. He has the skills. He just like cannot, just cannot get himself to manage his gas tank. It's like kind of insane. So I'm there with you on the pick. My next one is going to be Sergey Spivak to beat Jaron Vandera. I think there's a lot of smarts who are talking about Vandera being a live dog here, and I don't really see it. I, I think this uh, was rescheduled from uh, from a couple of months ago. I think COVID may have taken Spivak out of that matchup. Um, I, I'm not really that impressed by Jared Vandera. I, if he gets on top, he's a huge monster of a man, and he can do some damage with his ground and pound. I don't like his chances of, get, uh, of doing that. I think Spivak will probably be the better striker. I think he should be able to employ a couple of those weird judo takedowns of his to get top position if he needs it. Um, I, I just think his UFC experience, his overall high-level experience, uh, the fact that he's shown improvement from fight to fight, uh, I like Spivak in this matchup. Yeah, this is this is going to be my last pick. I really am not sure about these guys. I'm, I always have trouble with like like big middle bit middling heavyweights, but uh, I guess I'm leaning slightly towards Spivak. Um, my next fight. I'm going to go with – this is a tricky one too. I'm going to go with Phil Hawes over um, uh, Nizardine Imavov, even though I really like Imavov. But I just felt like he got hurt too often by Jordan Williams, who I don't think is as dangerous as Phil Hawes. So I feel, I don't I'm more, I don't think Imavov is going to be able to take the heat um, that Hawes drops down. Um, so I, I could, wouldn't be surprised if Hawes gets his, his second finish in a short amount of time. Yeah, Imovov is a, is like a slick and skilled just about everywhere. Really slick striking, good wrestling and solid grappling. He was tagged by a headbutt in his UFC debut against uh, uh, is it Jordan? Uh, yeah, but, he did. He did eat a headbutt, but he also ate some knees and a bunch of other. I mean, he got he took a lot of damage in that fight. Yeah, he he, did, he definitely got tagged several times. Uh, but he did recover quickly without hitting the floor. And he went for a takedown immediately, which kind of worries me a little bit because it's not going to be available to him against Phil Hawes. 
Even though he's won in the UFC, Halls is technically 2-2 two two under the UFC banner with one loss on Tough to Andrew Sanchez and another loss to Julian Marquez on Contender Series. Both guys are fairly like good opponents, so it's not a lot to be ashamed of, right? He's super athletic with a Division One wrestling background. Used to train at Greg Jackson's but switched to Sanford MMA, which is a good fit for a guy with his talents, I think. The hot, it's the hot gym. I feel like I feel like Sanford MMA is the, you know, it's what um, Fortis was last year. As far as every kind of, it feel it just feels like it's what you hear every, you know, where all the uh, all the good shit. Yeah, is. I, I would say it's beyond. Fortis looked like a good up and coming gym, and it's still like a decent gym. But they've definitely shown some weaknesses o- over the last year. I would say, whereas Sanford has gone through the trials and tribulations, right? They've had a yep. uh, bunch of wins, a bunch of losses, a bunch of wins, and now they're riding the stride. And I think a part of that is because Henry Huff's style of striking, the way that he develops his fighters, is that like they all look pretty technical pretty soon after starting to train with him, but it's actually piecing it all together, getting those combos together, getting the fakes and the head movement, getting the high-level setups, uh, getting them to defend effectively in the pocket, right? All of that comes much later. And Phil Hawes seems to be, I think, in the early stages of that uh, of, of that whole kind of uh, progression. Um, his striking is effective because of his power and his use of the calf kicks, but it's mostly surface level since he's never really developed high-level setups or defense. Like I said a moment ago, his average fight time is four minutes, and he hasn't won a fight that has gone past the first round since 2014, right? I might be crazy here, but I'm edging slightly toward Imavov. Haas power and calf kicks definitely concern me, especially like you said with Imavov uh, getting hurt a couple times in his last fight. But if Imavov proves to be as tough as he's shown so far, he, I think he should be able to get past the first round. I'm not sure that Haas can have like a decent bit of gas after five minutes, given how fast and explosive he is. So if Imavov does make it past five, I think he'll take over and finish in the second or third round. Definitely tough to be confident about the pick given Haas' early power and speed, though. So I, I definitely hear where you're coming from. So right now we dis- we disagree on two fights so far? Yeah, we disagree on two fights thus far, which... Castaneda, Wineland, and and Hawes and Mavon. Yes, okay. exactly. Um, all right, your pick. Uh, my next, my pick next. I'm going to go. I think I'm going to pick Chris Dawkins to beat the boa constrictor Alexei Olenek. I feel Ooh. like Olenek at 43 years old, where he's a much smaller man than he used to be. Chris Dawkins is super fast. Olenek was knocked out in a few of his last fights. He was knocked out quickly yep. by. Um, uh, what is that guy's name? Walt Harris. Walt Harris, exactly, which is not a good sign for a matchup against Chris Dawkins, especially when Olenek doesn't have the best takedowns. And if Olenek wants to kind of pressure forward, Dawkins will probably tag him. And one of the things that has me with a little bit of confidence in this in this pick, and I say a little bit for good reason, is that Dawkins has a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I don't expect that he's going to like outgrapple the boa constrictor, but I do think given his size, his speed advantage, his athleticism, the fact that he's like, like 13 or 15 years old, Younger, something like that. I, th- I think that'll probably uh, be enough here uh, to at least defend on the ground and then to tag them again when they're back up on the feet. So I do have Chris Dawkins, but I-, I could easily see this going the other way. Yeah, this was a tough one. I picked Dawkins too, but you never know with Olianic. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't pulled off one of those victories uh, <clears throat> or many of them in a while. Like his last, his last run of fights has not been... Uh, He's had moments for sure, but uh, I just I think he's I think it's beyond his expiration date. I don't see him getting that uh, uh, getting that on Hawkus on Dawkus. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, but to be fair, he does have that win over Fabricio Verdum. He has a submission win over Maurice Green uh, within his last three fights. So, you know, it's not like he's looked terrible. And honestly, he did take down Derek Lewis. He did have him in that scarf choke. And maybe if he was his 250-pound self rather than 225, maybe he would have submitted Derek Lewis in that position. But, I mean, he hasn't looked terrible, honestly. So, like, I, I see how this is largely a pick him. Maybe there's some value on Olenek by submission, but um, I am picking Chris Dawkins. I also have some concerns about Dawkins in the second round. I'm not sure that he'll have a whole lot of energy left after being so fast and explosive early, but I am edging him. Um. We got a few left here, huh? Yeah, we've got um, gonna... Jared Gordon versus Danny Chavez and Nate Landwehr versus Julian Arosa. Yeah, I'm gonna pick uh, Gordon over Chavez. Chavez. They're both at, they're both at, at really good gyms. I just think that um, I just think Gordon's a better fighter who's been competing against a higher level of competition. I know Chavez has those really good calf kicks, but I think that I think that Gordon should be able to sort of outclass him over three rounds. Yeah, I'm I'm actually edging toward Chavez just because I think like his takedown defense look really good. His kicks are pretty sick, whether it be to the head or to the calf, like you said. I think if he lands a couple of those calf kicks early, I think he might be able to take away uh, Gordon's ability to get takedowns. I know Gordon's a good pressure fighter, but I feel like it's dangerous because he's not super durable. He's got a couple of knockout losses going into his last fight against uh, Fishgold. And with Fishgold, he was much more careful than he usually was, right? Especially early on, knowing that Fishgold is dangerous early and then kind of gets gassed. Chavez is dangerous the whole fight. So I wonder if Jared will be even more careful, which might even j- just let him lose points in, in standing up. But I, I did end up edging toward Chavez uh, ever so slightly here. So I, I do have the underdog in this one. And in the final pick of the night for us, Nick, I'm going to take, I'm going to edge Nate Landwehr over Julian Arosa. I think Arosa's just propensity to go into firefights is going to hurt him here. Landwehr loves those kind of fights. And Arosa's not super durable in the pocket. Um, I do think also Nate Landwehr might be able to get takedowns here to score extra points if he needs it. I do have concerns about Nate Landwehr's kind of hands being low and Julian Arosa having a good head kick. I think that might be a bit of a risk factor there, but I have uh, the slight, or, or I guess to pick him, Nate Landwehr to beat Julian Arosa, probably by submission, if not a, lot, uh, a late TKO. So, Nick, we're going to leave the Rafael Alves-Pat Sabatini fight. I think there's only one more fight on the card. We're going to leave it on the off chance that there are a few other fights scrapped, and that'll be kind of our replacement for one of us, um, Nikolai, that'll do it for this card. Wait, you sure? Did we? There's no There's no fights left at all? Uh, I believe just that. Did we pick all of I them? I believe just the Rafael Alves versus Pat Sabatini matchup. And I was picking Landwehr, um, so we don't have any other points of... Of uh, we have uh, so we have two points of disagreement or three? Three. We have the uh, Imava oh, three, fight. You, yeah, Gordon. You picking Chavez? Chavez over Gordon? Right. Uh, Wineland fight, the Imava fight, and the Chavez fight. Those are the three points of disagreement. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! I'm worried about this now. I think this one could likely go in really any direction. Here's what we know: not all these fights are going to happen. True. Yeah, we we know by the end of the week a bunch of uh, a couple of these fights at least will end up uh, not coming through, which I think is why the UFC is scheduling 15 per event nowadays. I'm predicting a final card of 12 fights. We'll see what happens. I'm there with you. I do want to quickly mention, I mentioned how uh, Julian Arosa last week was a good betting opportunity, and that turned out to be right. I mentioned how Ricky Simone in a parlay or as a decision prop 
might be a good idea. And both of those came through. So if you did either of those, that worked out for you. And I mentioned how Bilal Muhammad in either a parlay or a decision prop would also be a good bet. That one came through. Um, I'm going to quickly drop these tidbits for you guys throughout our breakdowns rather than dedicating a whole segment to it. And and we're going to see how that goes. Uh, so our picks tonight, Nikolai, your first pick was Tom Aspinall. Second, you took Jamal Emmers. Your third pick was John Castaneda to beat Eddie Wineland. Fourth, you took Draco Rodriguez. Your fifth pick was Charles Rosa to beat Derek Minner. Sixth, you got Phil Hawes to beat Imovov. Your seventh pick was Danny Chavez to beat Jared Gordon. My first pick was Drakkar Close. Second, I took Caitlin Vera. Third, Curtis Blades. My fourth pick was Casey O'Neill over Shayna Dobson. Fifth, I had Sergei Spivak to beat Jared Vandera. My sixth pick was Chris Dawkins to beat Oleanik. And seventh, finally, I took Nate Landwehr to beat Julian Arosa. Nikolai, that'll do it for this card. What's your prediction for – give me three fights you think will get canceled. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I, I, I'm into that. Um, I'm going to say Spivak uh, Vandera is likely to get canceled because it seems like a fight that gets canceled ends up uh, likely getting canceled again shortly thereafter. I'm going to say that. Mm-hmm. Let me see here. Who hasn't had COVID? I'm going to say why not? That's, I was doing. I was doing the same thing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Shayna Dobson versus Casey O'Neill. No idea, but I'm just going to throw it out there. And uh, anything else? Maybe Chavez versus Gordon. How about you? I have a bad feeling about the main event. Oh man, I hope you're wrong, Nikolai. That's another one that got rescheduled. You're right. Um, well, but neither of these guys has had COVID yet, have they? I think it was rescheduled originally because one of them had COVID, but I could be wrong. It was Blades. Blades was had COVID. Yep. I think Derek Lewis will get COVID. He doesn't seem like the, he doesn't seem like a guy who like gets into masks. You know what? I'm quickly quickly going to look at uh, Texas uh, the Texas COVID rate right now. Let's see. Is it up there, Nikolai? Oh, they have forty two thousand deaths. They've They've surpassed freaking New York, Nikolai. That's crazy. I'm going to agree with you. I, a lot of people, I, I think it's a fair chance. Oh, actually, no. New York has ever so slightly more deaths at this point. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I, I think there's a decent enough chance that uh, that the main event gets pulled. But I hope not, man. I'm, I'm actually am looking forward to this one. I hope not, too. I just have a feeling. Yes, sir. You give me, you'll give me plus 3,000 odds on that? Hell no. <laughs> I'm, I'm partially in agreement with you about that one. Um, I, I think okay. as far as, uh, quickly, as far as bets for this one, I think Drakkar Close and Vieira uh, in a parlay don't have to be together, but in some combination, Draco Rodriguez uh, in a parlay could work well. I think that uh, Jamal Emmers might be a decent idea in a parlay, and I guess there's maybe a couple of bucks to be thrown on Skelly by submission, j- just as kind of a hedge there. Um, Chris Dawkins by... Knockout, I think, might be a good idea. It should be close to even odds on that one, if not uh, plus odds. Outside of that, I think Danny Chavez uh, by knockout is a possibility, but I wouldn't be surprised if he picks up a decision. So maybe no other bets there. I'm going to leave it to those that I recommended, Nikolai. All right. Sounds good. Well, I can't wait, and I hope to gloat. I hope that you don't get to gloat, Nikolai. If, if- wait, what do we have ne- What's What's next? What's... I know I keep I'm not letting you go after I was like I gotta go with my boss, but then my boss was like we gotta talk tomorrow, and then I was like hey let's keep going. <laughs> Fair enough. But um, um, so as far as as far as next week we've got uh, Rosenstruck versus Gane next with Gane. Oh God! Which is fantastic, oh my right? God! I am so excited for that. 
holy shit, I hope we don't lose that oh, fight. Me, me too, man. That'll be a phenomenal matchup and I think a real test for Gone. And also, honestly, it's a great test for both guys. It's a prospect matchup that could move one of them into that like top five territory. Uh, we've got Alexis Davis versus Sabino Mazo. I think a great test uh, of a kind of a crossroads fight. Um, Randy Brown or Alex Oliveira. That should be fun to watch, if nothing else. I don't think we expect anything big from either of these guys at this point. Nikita Krylov versus Magomed Ankalaev. Uh, That's is, fat. I'm into yeah, that. This has got a bunch of rescheduled fights. You're getting the Marion Renault Macy Chazon fight, which I think we lost earlier, or maybe not. Yes. And then Pedro Munoz, Jimmy Rivera, which was rescheduled. That's, that's right. I didn't realize it was not. That, that's that's great. We got Tiago Moises versus Hernandez. I think another rescheduled fight. Dustin Jacobo, Jacoby versus Maxime Grishin. Very much into that matchup. William Knight versus Alonzo Menifield, two super athletic prospects at 205, although maybe Menifield is less of a prospect at this point. And then we've got uh, Kevin Kroom versus Alex Caceres. I feel like I've seen Kroom before. Is this another rescheduled bout? No, maybe not. He was uh, he he was supposed to fight. No, Kroom showed up on sh- he showed up on short distance and knocked out or choked out Roosevelt. Nikolai that ended up being um, uh, uh, turned changed into a no contest. A no contest. Why? Why? I assume it's because of freaking marijuana. He, yeah, but then he wouldn't be back so soon, would he? Uh, I don't think they would give you much of a much of a suspension for that. Kevin Kroom, uh, no contest. I'm googling it now. Let's see what the reason for it was. Um. Maybe just Kroom was not a good idea. I should have specified. Nobody knows who the hell Kroom is. Issued suspensions for, wait for it, marijuana. It's fucking ridiculous, Nikolai. Las Vegas, man. Like, it's so bad. It's just, I know I, I know. I harp on this about once an episode. I just think it's so bad that fighters are getting suspended, especially fighters that are taking fights on short notice, and they still have presumably these metabolites in their system they get their wins and their bonuses taken away. Like this was a uh, uh, fight of the night performance for Kroom and I assume he got that taken away all because he smoked some bud a few days before the fight was scheduled. Like it's insane to me, but here we are. After he took a fight on, on extremely short notice, if I recall. I know, man, I know. And then we have, by the way, uh, Marina, uh, Mar- Myra Bueno Silva versus Montana De La Rosa. That's very interesting to me. Bueno Silva being a prospect, De La Rosa being a former prospect who's hit on some rough times lately. I definitely think there's a lot to look forward to between this week's fight and the one after that, Nick. Yeah, I mean, listen, Rosenstrikes. If if Sarah Gain gets by Jorginho Rosenstrike, we're talking about a real Absolutely. guy in the mix among the top five in that division. Absolutely, so yeah. I'm super excited. We've been waiting. We've been waiting for his progression for a while, and. Uh, can't wait. Not super excited about Alexis Davis, Sabina Mazo, but I expect Sabina. Well, I don't want to give away my pick. I expect Sabina Mazo to piece her up, but we'll see. Yeah, what I mean, happens. Sabina Mazo being like a like a young um, up and comer who's faltered against really experienced veterans early in her UFC career. I think this is a, a good matchup for her because she's looked good so far. It is. It's maybe I'm being hard too on um, Alexis Davis because I mean she has she's coming off of three losses in a row and then a split decision win over but it's Carmers, like some high level losses isn't it she lost to Maya Maya Chukag she lost to yeah she lost to Chukagi and Maya and Orojo which uh, like every day those losses look those losses yeah. look less serious um, I will say though the week um, after that Nick we've got I mean, this that's week re- a good card next week a pretty solid card the week after that is the big one UFC 259 I think I referred to last week's card as UFC 259 earlier sorry about that Blackowitz versus Sonia in the main event Three title fights on this one, right? We got Piotr Ram Yan versus Aljamain Sterling. And then what was the other title fight? For some reason, Typology has all this. Amanda Nunes against Megan Anderson. That's right. That's right. I mean, that, that's not one where, like, you know, we're expecting uh, an upset by Anderson. But you know what? Crazier things have happened. Nunes is at a point where she doesn't want to cut weight anymore. Anderson has power. It's possible. And also, you got Drew Dober against Islam Mak- uh, uh, Makachev. 
and Tiago Santos against Alexander Rakic. So like, yes, into all of that stuff. That is fantastic. Although I will say, oh, Benavides is coming back against Askar Askarov. And that's not Very a good idea. That's that. not a good idea for Joseph Benavides. And you got Dominic Cruz against Casey Kenny. Yeah, this, yeah. I mean, this, Askarov is not very dangerous, which is where Benavidez has faltered as of late. As yeah. to like really dangerous opposition. But I don't. Uh, but Cruz I, versus Kenny, you mentioned earlier. Earlier, Sean Brady versus Jake Matthews is fantastic. Um, Jamelia Jordan Espinosa is exciting. You know, it's um, yeah, it's 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 a decent fight with, with a couple of kind of journeymen. Uh, but that'll be exciting. I agree with you. Kaikara France versus Rogerio Bontorin. I think that's interesting. Kyler Phillips, who's looked phenomenal in the UFC so far against Yudong Song, who's a really solid fighter himself. Mandalemos is coming off a big win over Lavinia Suzu, who's coming off a decent win. Yeah, yeah there's definitely definitely some stuff to look forward to, man. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, yeah, this these, car, that, car, that card cars, is man. nuts. I don't even, like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, is is Dominic Cruz Casey Kenny a, pre, it's a prelim? How's that a prelim? Jesus. Because, I mean, they've got three title no, fights I in the main it. card. I, I think they it. like I'm to have like, those prelim main events being kind of like the the, well, I mean, the segue into the well, main card. Well, they also have uh, Joseph Benavidez uh, Oscarov uh, on the, as a prelim also. So that's a, that's a bonkers card. Um, it really is. I'm, I'm super psyched for it. Very much looking forward to it, man. Cool. Well, I will talk to you next week, my friend. Looking forward to it, but have a great week. And Nikolai, I'm, I'm going to expect to boast after this one. I, I know that I'm up on you on the overall picks, but you are up on me on the events. you got one event over me. I don't like it. It doesn't sit well with me. See what happens. Coming back strong, buddy. We'll connect next week, bud. Have a great weekend. You too.